special series for you. Uh, as I said, Matt and or Pastor Dave next Sunday and, and Matt. And uh, the reason I said I hope that Mary Ellen will be here, if you don't know, she fell in our sanctuary when she was here with the worship team Thursday and she had broken her hip and, and leg bone had surgery Friday night, and she's, she was up standing yesterday. Uh, she's a feisty, feisty woman, and we, we believe she'll be able to be back here to hear her son preach on, on Mother's Day, and then Pastor Matt. And then I'll be starting a new walk in the book of Second Corinthians that will take us up to Advent season. Can you believe we're mentioning that even already? Um, but with my vacations and everything, we have about 18 weeks uh, after they're done preaching to, to walk through Second Corinthians. So I like to do that with a mix of thematic uh, series and then just walking through Scripture as well. And today's message actually has a little bit of both, uh, we're, but we're going to take one key passage in just a moment. But to get us thinking about it, we have a very uh, classical, elegant clip from an elegant movie for you to enjoy. Listen to what's happening and, uh, and then, yeah, we'll talk about it. Mark my words, what bodes ill for Jack Sparrow, bodes ill for us all. Why? Because that's his crew. They're on his boat. He had a compass that doesn't work, apparently. And trying to navigate his own life, you see the frustration that was there. But then he has also taken the responsibility of other lives that are bound by the direction that he does or does not find. And, and, and it's all connected to, is the compass good or bad? And as we've been talking about each one of us, disciple one, I found this sign when I googled some things, and uh, this is part of our message today. <laughs> Caution, if you can't see Jesus in me, do not follow too closely. We're talking about ushering people into a relationship with God and, and helping them become Christ-like disciples. That's the mission of the Church of Nazarene, is, is to make Christ-like disciples of all nations. And, and in order for us to make Christ-like disciples, they've got to meet people who are being in, in Christ-likeness, and they need to see Jesus in us. As Matt said, uh, Pastor Morley uh, has had difficulty in, he meets in the pubs, which is like what about every restaurant's called there in Ireland, and, and shared a story of someone who talked about how he was in the church, and, but he won't walk into church again because he's tired of the control that they have on their life. 
Uh, they couldn't get their kids in school unless they were baptized. Um, you know, the government and the church had been so controlling of things. And so it was making people get baptized without any spiritual significance. And so anyhow, uh, he's trying to plant a church and all he can do is be there and hope that instead of hearing about him being a servant of the church, they see something different in him. They see Jesus in him. So I encourage you, as we think about this, as we wrap up being you know, one to the power of one, uh, us making disciples and multiplying starts with each one of us living in the power of one. There's your note sheet. You see a lot of blanks. We are going to walk through those this morning. And, and finishing up as one being sent as one to the power of one now. We've done the learning. Of course, we have more to do. But the subtitle is First Seek the Counsel of the Lord. The question is, and, and sometimes we're, like, we're nervous and thinking, well, who am I to lead somebody? But then when we ask, well, who's leading you? And, we're, and we think about it. I wonder how many of you could really say you have someone that you let influence you, that you're seeking to help you grow in the Lord, that you are a, a mentor or a discipler of you. Who do you go to? Who influences you the most? For many, it may just be the people you hang with the most. A peer group will become naturally an influencer of your life, especially if you don't have an intentional picked discipler that you have trusted and you've seen Jesus in them and you're following them, then whoever you're spending the most time with is going to be influencing us. So the question for us today is we go to lead others. Who are we allowing to influence? Who's our compass? Who helps our compass point where it points? So I, and I encourage you to, we're going to be in the main chapter of Second Chronicles chapter 18. I encourage you to go ahead and find that. Stick your thumb there or a bookmark in that because we're going to walk through that in just a little bit. We're going to draw quick truths from scriptures, but then you'll want to have that Second Chronicles open before you. I think the other verses are on your outline already. Uh, Psalm 16.7 says this, I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. And, and so King David who had a glorious ministry, a glorious failure, glorious restoration, and a glorious ministry, and a son who, who took the throne with, with power as well, and, and God's might. He had learned that the Lord is my counselor. Okay, first and foremost, when we're looking, and I'm asking, well, you were kind of asking if we have friends, we have peer groups, we have, well, we need to first determine the Lord is going to be my counselor. His word his truth is all that I need for power, for living. He is the one who needs to speak into my life. I, I, some of you will remember the story of, of a, a professor who told the class in, in their physics uh, class that, you know, for this final exam, you can bring in with you anything that you can fit on this, on an eight and a half by a sheet, eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper, anything you can fit on, you can bring as a study guide to help you. Uh, I mean, as a, as a help for you as you take your test, you know. And so people were writing really small, really small. And and on the day of the test, the guy came in with a blank piece of paper. Some of you remember this story uh, from before. But he came in with a blank piece of paper, and the students were like, "Oh man, he must have slept in. He didn't have time to write his notes. And what a bummer, you know." And they they sit down. And the teacher starts to say, pass out the exams and the kid sets the paper on the floor right next to his desk like this. And, and the teacher says, you may begin. And the kid just signals out the door. And another physics professor comes in and stands on the eight and a half sheet of paper. And as the story goes, the teacher let him <laughs> help him with the exam. Now, that's an illustration, but it helps us see 
You know, the scriptures are words written, and we try to reread. What do we remember? What did we get from it? What? Oh, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not doing the right thing. And 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 it turns into law that we're trying to pattern our life after. And and we need the Lord to be our counselor. That He is that professor who fits on our eight, and He comes and He's He's in our hearts. He's with us and will guide us into the truth of His Word and bring it to our minds. So have the professor, not from Gilligan's Island, but the professor from heaven. Uh, with you. The Lord is your counselor. Next, Proverbs 12.15 and 15.22 says this, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. So the Lord is our counselor, yes. It is His truth that I need alone, yes. And the Lord chooses to use others. I want the Lord's wisdom. It doesn't mean He doesn't do it directly. We have His Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit is there with us when we're choosing our others and when others say things to us. So the Lord is my counselor. The Lord uses others. In Proverbs, it says, in 27, it says, uh, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You know, that's a pretty vigorous process. That iron sharpening iron If iron had the sense of physical touch, that would hurt. It would be a painful process. There would be heat involved sometimes. There would be clanging and harsh banging of tools. But as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And God has called, as we talked about last week, He spoke in the Old Testament through prophets and others. But He would bring prophets to to say, tell my people... This is what I want them to know. And he brings pastors and teachers, Sunday school teachers, small group facilitators, uh, brothers and sisters in the small group that that are sharing their heart. And and, and so it goes from prophets and pastors and teachers to brothers and sisters simply speaking the truth in love. And, And that's difficult sometimes. But God's Word tells us that advice and counsel is important. Then... uh, Psalm 1.1, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, which simply is ungodly. We always think wicked is the grossest character you can think of from you know, an ogre in some horror movie or something, but wicked is just ungodliness. And blessed is the man who does not walk in that counsel. I must make sure that I listen to godly counsel. So God is my counselor. He uses others, but I'd better make sure that those others, if I'm only seeking God's real best for my life, His truth for my life, I need to make sure that I'm listening to people of the same heart and same mind, meaning submitted to God, and still know that they're human. They may see something and misperceive something in my life and come to address it, but those brothers and sisters that come speaking in love, I need to be open to that, but I must make sure that it's godly counsel. And then in Job, your next verse that you have there says, Who is this? God is speaking to Job after he's had a litany of friends come through and tell him what they, how they think Job should respond to what this horrible God, well, what God has done to him because either Job's been so horrible and so bad and he deserves this from this holy God or that God is just flat out angry. You might as well just curse him and die. And they're talking about this God as if they know him. And God comes to him and says, who is this? After Elihu is speaking some words of wisdom to him. But God says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words? And you see Elihu on there uh, in your notes. Forgive me, I I put that in there. But really the three friends are the ones that that we're referring to in this. Elihu seemed to be the one trying to bring 
Job to the position to hear God's voice. Um, and, and so forgive me for that. You might want to cross that out and put the three friends there. Uh, who is this that darkens my counsel with, with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. And he's talking to Job. And you hear what he says? Your friends are darkening my counsel. They're telling you what they think they know about me. And what this teaches us is not all that sounds godly is godly. A lot of people think they got God figured out when they're telling you things. But their own compass is going like this. And, and, and just because someone sounds like they know God and, and what they say sounds authoritative and right, it may not be. In fact, semi-godly truth is the most dangerous. Just missing the truth a little bit with a lot of truth mixed in makes you swallow the mistruths that much easier. And so we must be in tune, open to others, but in tune with the Holy Spirit to help us. It's, again, another familiar story to many of you that we've shared, uh, but the guy that the, there was, when depression and jobs were at a premium, trying to find work, and a telegraph office had a job opening, and, and you go into the office there, and, and there's all these people lined up with clipboards filling out their application. You walk in, and you're hearing the telegraph going, and people are you know, asking questions. What do you think this one means? And, and, and all these guys filling up this whole entryway, and, and a young man comes walking in. He goes up to the front desk, asks for an application, and thinks, oh, my goodness, but I'm going to try. And he sits down, and he starts writing on his application, but it doesn't take him long. He just kind of... And he gets up and he comes to the door off to the side of the desk and he knocks. And the door opens up. And the guy says, come on in. And as he ushers him in, he says, the rest of you can go home. Thank you for your time. They didn't interview. They didn't apply. And the guys are like, we were here before he was. Why did he? And the guy said, well, if you knew Telegraph, you would know that all this D-D-D-D-D-D-D was saying, if you want the job, knock on the door. If you want the job, knock on the door. If you want the job, knock on the door. And in all the noise of the office and the hustle and bustle and the focus of what they were trying to get, the truth was right there and this young man tuned in. So not all that sounds godly is godly. And there's a lot of noise in our world and a lot of noise about how God acts and what God thinks about you. You need to get it from Him. And you need to be around people that are getting their wisdom from him. And this, this is for us as we're talking about how do we become the people who lead others. So now we've got those, we've gleaned those things. Let's walk through Second Chronicles a little bit here. Uh, chapter 18, some counsel for living victoriously to help people see Jesus in us. 18.1-4 says this, Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor and he aligned himself, allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Some years later, he went down to see Ahab in Samaria. Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle for him and the people with him and urged him to attack Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? So he's asking him to join him in war. Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are and my people as your people. We will join you in the war. Kind of in our movie clip, we'll get in your boat. We will get in your boat, Ahab. And then he says, but Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first, seek the counsel of the Lord. So not much brains to glean from that. For us to be people that will uh, lead others to Christ is that we ourselves first and foremost must seek the counsel of the Lord. 
We're asking other people to get in our boat. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So first seek the counsel of the Lord. Our next passage is verses 5 to 6. I pulled the answer up already, but listen to this. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I not? Go, they answered, for God will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, "Um, Excuse me, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? Now see, Jehoshaphat had already kind of agreed. He said, We're getting in your boat, but I need you to seek the counsel of the Lord. And then he sees him call all these prophets that he has, and Jehoshaphat's going, not of the Lord, not of the Lord. Not, where, where's the prophets of the Lord in this land? Do you see, I've just said seek the counsel of the Lord. You're seeking counsel from people who act wise and, and you think are wise. But he asks, are, are there none left? And so we must make sure, I must make sure that my others that God uses in my life are His others. And if you're not in an intentional relationship where someone that you, you, you connect with once a month, at least to just talk about how you're doing spiritually, where you're at, what are you struggling with, how can I pray for you, and, and mutually encouraging each other, then think about who are you with the most and what kind of interaction is influencing you the most in peer groups, in work situations, whatever it may be. And I encourage you to think about finding someone. I've got a couple of guys that I'm trying to connect with on a regular basis that God's laid on my heart. For me to be that for them, and I'm, and I, you know, my dad is one for me, but I don't talk to him often enough. I need to, I need to have that in my life. I have my DS, and we meet, we meet once a month with things, but we all need it, and and I encourage you to think about it and pray about that. Um, but make sure that my others are his others. Are they saved people that you're listening to and absorbing their philosophy, their their perspective, their worldview? their political view, whatever it might be. And political views can agree and it still not be God's others that are shaping your thoughts. Political views are not the same as spiritual perspective. Okay? Um, all right, then we have verses 7 to 8. The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, Well, there is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> because he never prophesies anything good about me. But always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king should not say such a thing, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. So Jehoshaphat says, Is there anyone in the Lord? Yeah, there's, there's one who's godly, but he never says nice things that I like to hear. Wow. So counsel from the Lord. We need to... As we allow God to use others, pastors, teachers, prophets, brothers and sisters speaking the truth in love, we need to listen for what I need to listen for what I need, not just what I like. I need to listen for what I need, not just what I like. It's hard sometimes to hear the truth. It hurts sometimes. We want to think we're doing better than we are. And it's okay to have a positive spiritual self-esteem because we, who, we are who we are by the grace of Christ, not by how good we've done what He wants us to do. We are His child. We can be secure in that. And then we can absorb even things that are 
misunderstood, you know, and, and it's hard. It's hard for me to do this. It, but we have to remember, my dad would say, son, if someone is 99% wrong when they're coming to you about something, is there 1% in what they're saying that can help you look more like Jesus? And is there something that you can learn from why they think that about you, a way to help yourself look more like Jesus so you don't put that presentation out there? Is there be open. Don't throw baby out with bathwater, to use an old statement. So, listen for what I need, not just what I like. We have a lot of huge churches with stadium-sized venues because they're hearing what they like. A lot of it is not necessarily wrong, but it's omitting a large part of God's love and heart to call us and challenge us and convict us in our sin and guilt to make us more like Him, to be sharpened like iron sharpens iron. And so we need to listen for what I need, just not what I like. And verses 9 to 13, Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, son of Kananah, Kananah, do, 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 Kananah. Sorry, I just couldn't help that. Kananah had, had made iron horns and he declared, that was not in my notes to do that, by the way. Um, this is what the Lord says. With these you will, you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hands. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, the other prophets without exception, he's speaking to Micaiah, look, the prophets without exception are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what my God says. In today's culture, it's important for us to know that popularity doesn't make something true. Because all the other prophets are saying something doesn't make it true. Because our culture is moving in a certain trend and saying certain things, it doesn't make it true. Popularity does not make things true. I don't know if you heard, but a week and a half ago, uh, Marvel Comics put out, it's Marvel that does X-Men, right? Marvel. Put out a new issue of X-Men, the new the new, it's, it's the, the new X-Men, but it's the same old characters. And Iceman, one of the iconic characters of X-Men, comes out of the closet in this cartoon issue as a gay superhero. And, and this, is, this is what our kids are, you know, this is what our kids are seeing. Our, our culture is, and I, I understand it because Amy was at Washington, D.C., and, and the Supreme Court's taking up the issue and, and she, she was at the, at the mall and hearing the two sides. That's all humanity that God loves and died for. But the homosexual community and yelling to the Supreme Court and, and people who aren't homosexual who are coming alongside them because of the sympathetic heart that they're getting unfair treatment and, and saying, love will win, love will win, love will win. And the preachers over here saying, you're going to hell, God hates I'm not going to say the words and, 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 and this venom that was coming. 
And, and you look at a godless world who's looking for a compass, which one do you think they're going to say, you know what, <laughs> this isn't right. I'm going to come over here. And, 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 and it's just, it, it, that, that's the way it works. But popularity doesn't make it true. We need to get our compass right. Not so they hear what we're shouting across the mall in a conflict, in a clash, but so they see Jesus in us. And that they come to respect and see something true and solid in us that we can lovingly say, you're missing God's best for you. And and so popularity does not make it true. In fact, folks, I've seen it happen in churches. Negativity and falsehood seek affirmation. Negativity and critical spirits, they seek others to agree with them. And they go around talking until they're getting affirmed. And yeah, see, I'm right. Others feel the same way. You know how many times I hear, have heard in my years of ministry, you know, people are saying. And it, and it ends up being that it was like one or two, and that was husband and wife. <laughs> but negativity and falsehood go around looking for affirmation, and they'll build up and make a popular because, oh, sure, yeah, oh, really? God's love means that all is okay. God's love means that no matter what I do, oh, that's awesome. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. And it starts puffing up and it becomes popularity. And it's not true. And so we need to become, as God's church, a compass in our culture that just points to Him. He loves people on both sides of the mall in D.C. And He died for both sides of the mall in D.C. to call both sides of the mall in D.C. to a glorious, fulfilling, healing, and restoring relationship with Him. And we need to be agents of that. Verses 14 to 16. When He arrived, the king asked Him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I not? Attack and be victorious, He answered, for they will be given into your hand. Well, that's what, not what I was expecting. Because it, it sounded like he was not agreeing with what the other prophets were saying. Then the king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? <laughs> the king saw right through it. Micaiah apparently had a moment of weakness. And then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master let each one go home in peace. It's like Micaiah gave in to the pressure. And then the king was like, that doesn't seem right coming out of your mouth. And what that taught me is when we hear someone share with us, when we're letting others, the truth can be difficult for the speaker to say. The speaker can be in situations knowing, you know, there's, there's many times when I'm, when I'm preaching and sharing thoughts and certain folks that I'm aware of come to mind. I'm like, oh, I wonder how they're doing. And, and they might feel like I shaped the message for them. And, and I've had people say, you know, you, you shouldn't shape your man. I'm like, I, I'm just preaching what God is saying. Even though I'm speaking it, some things come to mind. And, but I've got to say it. I, gotta, I, I know it might hurt you. It might challenge you. It might confront you. It might convict you. It, but... I got to speak what God is telling me to speak, and it's difficult. It's difficult for your brother and sister to come to you and speak the truth in love, especially if they know it's going to hurt you. 
And we've had situations where people in our church have done what they think was the best in love and it's been difficult, but it was firm and it was meant in all love. And, and, and yet then the response is that that wasn't love and that we weren't able to recognize, others weren't able to recognize the love that was in it. And so we need to be open and, and, and know that sometimes when someone speaks something tough, even if they're wrong, but they're trying, and I know it's hard for them, only their love for me would motivate them to do something so difficult. If they didn't care about me, they wouldn't take the risk. And so we've got to be able to see that love as we let people help us be sharpened as iron. So truth can be difficult for the speaker. Then uh, verses 17 to 22. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne with all the multitudes of heaven, standing on His right and on His left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, into attacking Ramoth-Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. When we seek false counsel, God will trip up. God will trip up godless advisors. And, and they may have a, a sense of authority that, that may sound like it comes from the Lord, but God knows and sees and His, His spiritual battle will trip up godless advisors. And if we choose to follow them, God will let us be going to our disaster and following a compass that is leading us in the wrong direction. God will trip up godless advisors. Who are you listening to? Who am I listening to? Who's influencing me? Who am I in conversation with the most and laughing about things in the culture and, and talking about what, what is political correctness and how important is it or is it and, and, and what party and who should we vote for and who, and who are we just listening to and especially about the things of God in our life. All right, then 23 to 27. Then Zedekiah, son of Kenanah, <laughs> went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go when He went from me to speak to you, he asked. Micaiah replied, You will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, Take Micaiah and send him back to Armon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, This is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison. Give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. But Micaiah declared, If you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. But then he added, Mark my words, all you people. What Micaiah is saying is, I'm confident you are not going to return safely because the Lord is speaking with me. And no matter what the position of power gave Ahab to do with Micaiah at that moment because he didn't like what he said and he was sending him off to go to prison, Micaiah knew that the truth will outlast stubborn resistance to it. It doesn't matter how hard people want to fight against the truth, what God's will is. It doesn't matter how much you want to fight against it. The truth is going to outlast it. It doesn't matter what little victories you seem to have or your, your friends seem to have in, in resisting God's truth. And, you know, many times we think, well, man, why do they think they need the Lord? They've got great cars. They've got a great life. They've got a great family. They're having a fine life. It's hard for them to think they need the Lord. If they're resisting the truth, that they're sinners that need God's grace, the truth is going to outlast 
their nice cars and their, their nice family. And it's just, it's just going to. The truth is going to outlast any stubborn resistance. So as we seek to be people that are being sent as one to the power of one, we must go in love. In the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, one little verse says, Love does not delight in evil. And again, evil, wicked, it's just godlessness. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. That means even truth that's tough to swallow. It may not be happy, happy, joy, joy at the moment, but when the truth is received and gotten a hold of and becomes a part of life, there's a rejoicing that takes place in the solidness and the fulfillment that comes from God's plan and God's design for life. And if we love these people that we're leading, then we need them to delight in the truth and we need to delight in the truth. And the rest of that passage and the next chapter, King Ahab, I don't like his counsel. There he goes again. See, I tell you, he ever has anything good to say about me. Take him, put him in, tell him to this other leader to put him in prison. Chapter 19, well, at the end of chapter 18, Ahab is dead. All that power, all that reign, all that might, all that victory and that power over Micaiah, pointless. And Jehoshaphat lives on to reign. Jehoshaphat had a heart for God and continued to reign and to pass on godliness to his kids and his kingdom. Ahab had a heart for himself, protected it from God's truth, and he lost his life. So the question for you and me is, who is discipling and or influencing me? Who is it? Find someone. Find someone. The Lord is your counselor. Is He? If the voices we're hearing are not godly voices, where's the, Lord's, where's the Lord connecting? So find someone godly that you trust. You see Jesus in them. You, we should put that sign uh, not only on ourselves. If you can't see Jesus in me, don't follow me too closely. But we need to put it on the backs of people we're following and see it. Who are you following? Who's shaping your perspective? Who is discipling and or influencing me? The worship team is going to come and after they sing Matt is going to come and prepare us for communion time in the Lord's Supper. But this song says, when you speak to me about the Lord, and I just want you to come with a hunger and a thirst. Communion means that we are joining with Christ in His mission. We have received Him into our bodies, into our lives, through faith that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. We have drank the living water. His blood, we've applied that blood of sacrifice, saying that should have been my blood, and we have put it on ourselves and received God's gift through Christ, and we are God's children, and we're wanting to walk with Him. His body was broken to meet us in our brokenness. His blood spilled out to wash us of the guilt of that brokenness and to call us back into life with Him. And as we said, the same Jesus who died on the cross, the same Jesus who rose from the dead, is the same Jesus who through the Holy Spirit is our counselor. Is He on your eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper in this exam of life? Communion is us committing to God. God, I need to get on your page. I need to get on your page. Be my counselor. Be my guide. 
Who am I? As we asked in the first message of this, who am I to lead others? I'm someone who needs to follow Christ myself is the answer. And we should put on our very own back. Don't follow me if you don't see Christ. And we tell Christ, I'm determined to have you help them see you in me. Heavenly Father, as we come, will you speak to our hearts? Will you challenge us about the influences we allow to have in our life? And if we're not meeting and we don't have a social circle, then maybe that reduces our influence to TV shows that we watch, to movies that we watch. That that's all that we have for shaping our worldview. And, and so God, call Your people that in this time of communion, we will see our need to have You be our counselor, to allow You to use others, but to give us wisdom and discernment of who those others are, that they are Your others that You have for us. And when You speak to us, we will be listening. Shape us and mold us and make us like You, Christ, in a world that desperately needs to see You in Your people more than anything. In the name of Your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.